0: Jesus is real. There's power in Your name. We find hope when trust in Your ways. We Be believe Jesus is real.
1: They're praising God because they went through some terribly hard things, but God has taken care of them. Friends and sisters, I want to encourage you, you want your life to be filled with praise. I mean, how many of us, we have so much to be grateful for. And I'm not saying that everything is easy, and I'm definitely not saying that everything has worked out the way that we wanted it to, but we're still here, aren't we? Like while there's breath in our lungs, you have reason to praise.
0: Is your life going great right now? Praise the Lord. Is it a struggle to get out of bed in the morning? You too need to praise the Lord. Pastor Daniel doesn't want to dismiss the difficulties of this life today. Instead, he wants you to focus your attention on Jesus, no matter your circumstances. Let him comfort you and praise him. Let him give you peace and joy and worship him. Let him be your strength. He is all you need, all you will ever need. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in the book of Revelation, chapter 14, as he begins his message, The Bold Judgments. Jesus
1: so I don't know about you, but I love a great road trip. I've always loved road tripping. I'll never forget it. When I was graduated college, I was going to be moving out to the West Coast from my home state of New Jersey, and me and my buddy Ilya were going to be driving together. And I remember it was time for us to go, and we were loaded up the van and the U-Haul. And then we were just standing out in front of Ilya's house, and we were just talking. And at some point, I don't know if it was my dad or Ilya's mom, someone was like, hey, you guys are going to be in the car together for a while. Why don't you take your story on the road with you? And I don't know if they just wanted to get rid of us or if it was, they were just really aware of the fact that we were going to, we had a long distance to travel and we we're going to spend a lot of time together. Now the reason I bring this up is normally I have a great story for you all, but we've got to travel a long distance today in the book of Revelation. So can we just jump in together? Does that sound good for everybody? Okay, we're going to be talking a lot today. So open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 14. We're going to be picking up in verse 14. And the reason we're doing that is because I didn't finish chapter 14. And so we'll pick up where we left off. Open your Bibles, last book in there. Revelation chapter 14, picking up in verse 14. It says, then I looked and behold, a white cloud. And on that cloud sat one like the son of man having on his head a golden crown and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, thrust in your sickle and reap, for the time has come for you to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. So he who sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. Verse 17, then another came out, another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven. He also having a sharp sickle, and another angel came out from the altar who had power over the fire. And he cried out with a loud voice and he said to him with the sharp sickle, thrust in your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth for the grapes are fully ripe. So the angel thrust his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trampled outside the city and blood came out of the winepress up to a horse's bridle for 1,600 furlongs. Now, in the context of all of this, if you remember, there's we're in this parenthesis right before the bull judgments. And really what we see here, and this is so important, is that, my friends, there's going to be a great harvest one day. What we learn is that at some point, like, like you have to think of yourself as not only yourself and our world, but we have to think of it, as like we're all designed for fruit bearing. And all through the scriptures, there's this idea that God wants each one of us to bear fruit. We have like things like the fruit of the Spirit. But the reason that is, is because at some point there is going to be this great harvest, and at that point, then we're going to be harvested for the fruit that we have. And so in these verses, verses 14 to 16, and then verses 17 to 20, it really tells of these reap. Of these harvests. Now, if you notice, there's two different harvests, and what's fascinating about it is in the first harvest, it literally talks about how the grapes are ripe, the harvest of the earth is ripe, and then in the second harvest, it talks about how the grapes are fully ripe, or some would say that it's actually overripe. But what we realize is that there is a harvest that is coming and all of us are going to give an account for the fruitfulness of our lives. And that's really what we're seeing here. This reminds me of Jesus in Mark chapter four, verse 26 to 29, where Jesus says, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground and should sleep by night and rise by day and the seed should sprout and grow. He himself does not know how. For the earth yields crops by itself, first the blade, then the head, then the full grain of the head. But when the grain ripens, immediately he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. And so what you find is that in the last days, there will be a time when the harvest of the earth is going to be reaped, that the fruitfulness of our lives is going to be seen for what they are. And I realize that we don't often don't like hearing this, but listen, we all have to give an account for who we are and how we roll through the world. And that's not only true on the social level, like, like if you treat people poorly, it would make sense that people don't want to be around you, right? And then if you treat people well, then it would make sense that, you know, people might want to be around you. But what we really have to realize is that ultimately all of our lives are going to be weighed in the balances whether we like it or not. I to give an account for who we are. And really what we see is we see this, this telling of, hey, listen, there is a harvest that is coming and you have these, these angels who are literally in the midst of doing this work of harvesting. Look at verse 15. It says, thrust in your sickle and reap for the time has come for you to reap. And so he went out and he thrust a sickle into the earth and it was time for harvest. See, so there's a timing for all of this. And in the same way, in the second reaping, now, if you have a little subheadings in your Bible, mine before verse 14 says, reaping the earth's harvest. And then in the second one, verse 17, it says, reaping the grapes of wrath. Because it is interesting that in the second reaping, of course, we find that, remember I mentioned that they're overripe, but it says here that the angel, verse 19, thrust his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God and the wine press was trampled outside the city that blood came up out of the wine press up to the horse's bridle for 1,600 furlongs. So really what they're saying is is that this second reaping, and really most people would say this is the reaping of those destined for destruction, you have blood coming out of this wine press four feet high and about 1,600 furlongs. Literally, it's a stadia in the Greek, which would be the equivalent of about over 180 miles. So you realize that this is a very provocative image. And, and ultimately, when you land in this kind of an image, people all the time say, well, I don't know why would God want to judge the world? Like, it doesn't just make God mean, right? Isn't that like the normal question? The number of times people say, I, how can I believe in a God who would judge the world? I want to answer that question for you, but I actually want to let the next chapter answer it for us because we learn how you would not want to believe or worship a God who wouldn't bring judgment Because what we're going to find is that God's judgment is righteous and just. It's the right thing. And I know that sounds challenging, but look at what it says. If we move on to chapter 15, look at what it says. This is chapter 15. It says, then I saw another angel in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them the wrath of God is complete. Verse 2, and I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire. And those who have victory over the beast, over his image, and over his mark, and over the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass, having harps of God. They sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints. Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For all nations shall come and worship before you. For your judgments have been manifested. After these things, verse 5, I looked and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. And out of the temple came seven angels having seven plagues, clothed in pure bright linen and having their chests girded with a golden band. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one was able to enter the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. So really what we see here is that in response to this reaping, and really we see this is now the prelude to the seven final judgments, the bold judgments. What we find here is that the response in heaven is a response of worship. And really what I would say for us is that we want to be filled with praise and glory because of who God is. Now, I know someone's are going to say, be filled with glory. What does that mean? I'm going to show you in a second. But if you look at this text, what you have is in response to this reaping, right away there is this praise that erupts in heaven. There's this seven angels, and they have the seven last plagues. For in it, it says that the wrath of God is complete. It's fulfilled. These seven final judgments in the book of Revelation and God's wrath will be complete. But he sees this sea of glass mingled with fire. So for John, it evokes the sea, but he realizes it's not water, it's glass. And he sees this image of fire, and on those are those who had victory over the beast and over his mark and over his image. So we see almost this redeemed group of people who are coming out of this time of great trouble, the last days, and they're there, and they begin, and they have the harps of God. Have you ever wondered why the cartoons always have people in heaven playing the harps? You know, God's down with the stringed instruments, I'm hoping my harp will be a Fender bass, but that's a different discussion for another day. And they sing, it says they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God and the song of the Lamb. Now, of course, the song of Moses, if you want to just make a little bit, a note in your Bible, go back and read Exodus chapter 15, verses one to 21, which you really have this song of the deliverance of the people out of Egypt, they call it the song of Moses, and also, if you want, make also a note of, of Deuteronomy 32, which is a song that was personally written by Moses. Now, it's funny, I, I love Christian scholars because they're smart, and really almost all academic scholarship is based on argument. It's like, well, one person has this position, someone has this position, and they argue about it. And, and, that's, and listen, don't get me wrong. We want to, if we argue, we want to argue in a way that's constructive and not destructive. But a lot of our great thinking comes through when we have disagreement about things and we're trying to work the thing out. So it's funny to watch scholars argue about is the song of Moses that they're talking about here in Revelation 15, is it Exodus 15 or Deuteronomy 32? And you can read volumes on this. If you have all the reasons why. I just write them both down, read them both. They're the word of God and we're going to keep going. Does that make sense? So they have this, it's the song of Moses, but you have to think for these folks who are singing this song, just like the children of Israel were delivered with a great deliverance out of Egypt. Now you have this group who's also delivered with a great deliverance out of this time, which is the winding down of all things with the antichrist. And so really what it teaches us, remember I said we should be filled with praise. When God delivers us, whether it's us, our understanding of his deliverance for us from our sin by saving us, or when God brings us through something that is challenging and hard, our heart's response should always be to praise him, to worship him. The number of times I have caught myself praying for something, God does something, and I am like the leper who was healed who never went back to say thank you. I catch myself doing that all the time. And so I'm trying to train myself that when I say, God, will you help me? Lord, will you get me that job? Lord, will you open that door? And then that door opens. My job is to come back and say, Lord, you heard my prayer and you acted. You worked. And really what we find is for these folks who are singing this, what's called the song of Moses and the song of the lamb, they're praising God because they went through some terribly hard things, but God has taken care of them. Friends, sisters, I want to encourage you. You want your life to be filled with praise. I mean, how many of us, we have so much to be grateful for. And I'm not saying that everything is easy. And I'm definitely not saying that everything has worked out the way that we wanted it to. But we're still here, aren't we? Like, while there's breath in our lungs, you have reason to praise. And so often it's, you can clap if you want. (laughs) Gratitude is a choice, my friends, isn't it? It's a choice. It's like, given what we're seeing, do we respond with a heart that says, God, thank you for today. God, thank you for this moment. Lord, thank you for allowing me to be here today. Right? That's a choice that we make. And it's a decision of the will in light of what you're seeing to say, I'm going to make sure I do not neglect the very reality that God is God and God is good, even though I'm going to have to go through hard things. And so they respond with the, They sing the song of Moses and the song of the Now, this song is beautiful because it really boils us down to really like uh, four things. Now, I didn't come up with this. I just pulled it out of a commentary somewhere. And so I don't know who because I didn't attribute it. So I'm just going to tell you. I got four W's for you. So you know I didn't make it up. I'm not that alliterative. But really, the praise is for God, for his work, because his work is great and marvelous, right? For his ways, because his ways are just and true, For his worth, he deserves fear and glory, for he's the only one who's holy. And then, of course, his worship. For all nations shall come and worship before you, for your judgments have been manifest. Now, I think this is very powerful because really they're praising God for the things he's done, his works, his ways, the way God moves through the world... His worth, because God, who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? It's a rhetorical question. It's like everyone should, because he's God, right? And then, of course, he deserves worship. But all the nations praise God because of his judgments. They're saying all the nations, all the peoples of all the nations, they praise God because of these judgments that he's bringing to pass. Why? Because his judgment is just, Now, it's amazing. So you have this praise of the multitude, and then it says in verse 5, After these things, I looked, and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. And out of the temple came the seven angels, having the seven plagues, clothed in bright linen, and having their chest girded with a golden band. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls filled with the wrath of God, who lives forever and ever, And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one was able to enter the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. Now, you might, if you don't know the Old Testament, you might not catch all the references here. But really what you have is if you read the book of Exodus, most people get hung up. Because by the time you get to the end of the book of Exodus, you find first God gives Moses like all the architectural schematics for the tabernacle, which became the temple, like down to like this big, this is what I want it to be made of. And then you get all these chapters of them actually building it to spec, doing exactly what they were supposed to do. And all the time when people read it, they're like, why are we reading this? By the time you get into the New Testament, the apostle Paul and the writer to the Hebrews tells us that really what God gave to them is almost a copy of what's in the heavenlies, So what you find is after these seven angels come on out of the temple, then there is this, they're given these seven bowls of the wrath of God. And they're coming out in white robes with their chest girded with a golden band, which was the way the priests were dressed, right? And then all of a sudden the tabernacle in the heavenly tabernacle fills with smoke. And if you remember, remember when Solomon dedicated the temple, what happened? The visible presence of God, what they call the Shekinah glory, fell on the temple. And there was smoke everywhere. And really what you have is with the ushering in of these last judgments now, the heavenly tabernacle is filled with smoke. It's filled with the visible presence of the glory of God. Remember I said we want to be filled with praise and what? And glory. Of course, we know that Jesus is God's temple. Right? And guess what, you know? you are the temple of God as well. And so really what this is reminding us is that we want our lives to be filled with we're praising God because of his deliverance. But your life should be an example of the visible presence of the glory of God. And this is why, my friends, this is why who we are matters. How we live matters because people should see there is something about that person in their life. There is this gloriousness of what it means to be in Christ. I always think, remember, uh, the Apostle Paul talks, remember how Moses, he'd come out of the tabernacle and he would cover his face because his face was shiny? Like he had the light of Christ. But really what's, but what's amazing is is the Apostle Paul makes the point that the reason Moses covered his face is because the glory was diminishing, But really what he's saying is that for the child of God who knows Jesus, that glory should never diminish because Jesus dwells within us. What would it look like for you to say, Lord, I want my life to be a place that's filled with your glory, my countenance, who I am, how I move through the world. See, what we're learning here is the heavenly tabernacle is filled with the glory of God. And John sees it. And no one's allowed to go in until this is all done. Now, as we move on in now to Revelation 16, see, we're, we're making pretty good ground here, right? We're on our journey together, our little road trip. I just want to say right now, everyone on staff did not think I'd make it into Revelation 16. So everyone on staff, ha Can you give our staff a round of applause? They had to put up with me all the time. I had some of our pastors were coming. They are giving me a hard time before the service. Like, hey, we do want to get lunch at some point before dinner today, Pastor Daniel. They didn't think we are getting there. I'm here. All right. Let's slow down and relax. Let's go into the right lane. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Chapter 16, verse 1. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go and pour out the bowls of the wrath of God on the earth. Verse 2. So the first went and poured out his bowl upon the earth. And a foul and loathsome sore came upon the men who had the mark of the beast and those who worshiped his image. Verse three, then the second angel poured out the bowl on the sea and it became blood as of a dead man and every living creature of the sea died. Verse four, then the third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs of waters and they became blood. And then I heard an angel of the waters saying, you are righteous, O Lord, the one who is and who was and who is to be. Because you have judged these things, for they have shed the blood of the saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink, for it is their due. And I heard another from the altar saying, even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. Verse 8. Then the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun and... Power was given to him to scorch men with fire, and men were scorched with great heat, and they blasphemed the name of God, who has power over these plagues, and they did not repent and give him glory. Then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom became full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues. Because of the pain, they blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, and they did not repent of their deeds. Now, the only thing I can really say about this is that the bold judgments are awful. Like, this is the end of it. This is the climax of the wrath and the judgment of God. And so it's these seven bowl judgments. And literally, it starts by saying, go and pour out the bowls of the wrath of God on the earth. And then it begins. So the first bowl, they poured out the bowl upon the earth, and it says, a foul and loathsome sore came upon the men. So really what you have here is you have these painful, these injurious, harmful sores come upon people. And now, of course, this is reminiscent of the sixth plague in Exodus. So remember I talked about this that in a lot of ways the plagues of the last days the judgment of the last days there's a mirror oftentimes to the way God judged Pharaoh and Egypt and you can read about this in Exodus chapter 9 verses 8 to 12 which is the sixth plague of Egypt. Now, I didn't need to make the point cuz you know people all the time get you know all bent out of shape over a gender inclusive language when it says for on men it means men and women too. So one time nobody complained about gender inclusive language in the Bible. It's like, oh, man, the guy's got it good, you know? But no, it's like, sorry, it's the people. The people get this thing.
0: Jesus is real. Wow. I don't want to be around for that, do you? Sores and death and water turned to blood. Yikes. Thankfully, Pastor Daniel reminded you today that if you're a believer in Christ, you aren't getting this judgment. It's reserved for those with the mark of the beast on them in the end times. Now, if you've been listening today and you haven't given your life to Christ, what are you waiting for? Don't delay. There's a much better life waiting for you with Jesus. Hey everybody, this is Pastor Daniel, and I want to be honest
1: with you for a moment. Life is messy, and the hard reality is, if it isn't messy for you now, it will be, and it probably has been in the past. Did you know that you can still thrive in tough times? It's true, but only through the power of Jesus. That's the purpose behind my book, Honestly. I want you to know how to keep living your best life in Jesus, no matter the circumstances. You can find out more about it and get your
0: own copy at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Hey, I wanted to remind you that each day on Facebook, Pastor Daniel shares a simple two-minute message. In this message, Pastor Daniel draws out an important biblical truth really helps set your day on the right path. So be sure to follow Pastor Daniel Fusco on Facebook and share these two-minute messages with your friends and family. Next time on Jesus is Real Radio, Pastor Daniel parallels some of these bold judgments with the plagues of Egypt, as well as with the earlier judgments on the earth that we've already learned about. God has specific ways to judge the evil in the world, and it's effective and deadly for those left behind. So again, Don't delay. Don't be one of the people who have to suffer through these horrific events. You've been listening to Jesus is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. Pastor Daniel will continue teaching through his series called A Year of Revelation next time. Until then, may God bless.